0: so this is today today is yesterday and tomorrow is also today you traveled through time to the present yes yeah I don't think you get how time travel works it's like we're stuck you know like a like a needle on a scratch record I wake up every day right
1: here right in Punxsutawney it's always February second.
0: It's one of those infinite time loop situations you might have heard about.
2: It's a Is thing it? where the same day keeps happening. Time, 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 ah! time, time. Slow down! What are you in a damn time loop or something?
0: Ah! Well, it's Groundhog Day again. And that must mean that I'm Professor Robert E.G. Black, and I'm here with Austin Pryor from Malkovich Malkovich Minute Minute, here to discuss Groundhog Day. Again, still, always, <laughs> and forever. Like, what other words mean the same thing? Yeah, i yeah, just leaving
1: you hanging this time, see how long you'd go for. <laughs> yes, thanks for having me back.
0: Yes, welcome back again. We shouldn't have repeat guests on this show. It should be the one show that doesn't have any repeats.
1: yeah um yeah we were talking before about how it might it's it's a it's a bit of an ask
0: yeah this show you have to come in and talk about three different movies plus if possible bring in a time loop of the week
1: yeah it's a lot of homework uh, yeah which i this time Elected not to do, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, uh, no, it just, uh, but it's also just like, we're, we're, we're getting all existential up in here and all that. So yeah. It's just, uh, yeah, but it's, it, it's good fun and, uh, yeah, I'll be on any time.
0: Cool. Cool. We are in minute 27 of Groundhog Day. That means we are on the third iteration of February 2nd. Before we get into the town square, we do have a little bit at the beginning of this minute where we see Mary, the piano teacher, walking across the intersection. I will also note the woman in the long blue coat because she has one of the extras that appears in multiple locations. We see her in the diner later. And then we go to Ned's corner over at the town square. We see Philzine girl still has her friend. The fringe jacket cowboy guy is over with two of his friends browsing the gift shop window across the way. And then Phil comes around the corner and is kind of freaked out by the old man. Yeah. And we cut to Ned in the intersection. Always oh, in the middle of the street. That guy.
1: Beautiful. He should know Beautiful better. Ned. 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 Yeah. I'm in another Ned moment here now this time. I, see, I seem to land on the Neds.
0: Um, yeah. I think you were in it. You were the one that commented on Phil doing the pocket thing with the old man pretending he was going to give him like he didn't. Have yeah.
1: It. It's great. In the script, like he does that
0: this. again here, but here he just kind of freaks out.
1: Mm, it's mm. like,
0: starts to do that and then is like wait no
1: yeah and we were also talking about the timing we questioned the timing last time of like would ned be in exactly the same spot and last time we concluded that yes he would be because you know the events of the morning he spent a little bit shorter here but a little bit longer there Mm -hmm. and so he would end up coming around the corner at the same time
0: yeah he runs through one block that means he goes slower on the next and
1: yeah. Yeah. So by this stage of the movie, I think you know third loop in. I think we're just kind of going well when he goes around this corner. Ned is always there and just right. forget about it. You know, because I don't think it does really quite scan this morning, does it?
0: No. If if the timing the timing can't make sense, but it also doesn't have to because we don't know how far away he is. Yeah. We don't know where he's coming from in the fictional tawny Yeah. In Woodstock, the bed and breakfast is in the opposite direction. He's coming from the wrong way. Sure. So sure. It, It doesn't matter.
1: So on an absolute scale, we don't know. But on a relative scale of if he's walking faster today than he was yesterday, it doesn't matter.
0: But it also comes down to what we were talking about at the end of Minutia X yesterday, where it's sort of like that language of film as well. We need the same things to be in the same places because we need to understand why he sees that things are the same. Yes, yeah
1: absolutely and the film decides what to show us so that it leaves room for the timing and yeah again it's one of those things where i would hate this movie to get bogged down in the technicalities at the expense of the comedy and the drama and the blurring the themes and everything like that you know which is the more important stuff
0: yeah you could use the technical stuff to be some of the jokes yeah kind of like they do with when he robs the armored truck is the timing is the joke
1: We're playing with the, yeah, the mechanics
0: of it. You only have to do that a couple of times just to point out that he gets it. Yeah. There's a great one in the movie, The Map of Tiny Perfect Things. Yes. There's this moment where the two leads who are both in a time loop are having a conversation while they just casually walk into a restaurant, walk through the kitchen, grab some food off a plate and just walk right back out. Yeah. Because they know know the exact timing of when things are going to be, where they're going to be. Great. Great. Yeah. yeah. And But the movie doesn't draw attention to it. It just happens. And that's, that's pretty really nice.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: I think if Harold Ramis went into that, he would have drawn attention to every beat of anything like yeah. that. And it would have gotten a little much.
1: Sure. But also he would have had to, because he was making the first mainstream time loop movie. Yeah, whereas you know, a map of tiny perfect things or whatever it is, that's much gets more. To build on yeah. that, gets to build on the set of audience mm-hmm. expectations that have been ex- established by the culture and exactly the, yes
0: the genre being yeah yeah what we expect from time loops, which there's way too many of. Yeah, my list keeps it getting is. longer. <laughs> my list on IMDb is currently like two hundred and seventy something.
1: Oh my god, do do you ever try and pare it down to just things that are like strict time loops like i didn't not the list
0: my list i purposely have kind of expanded where it's sort of like things that feel like time loops as well yeah one of my time loops of the week was from a tv show where it was not a time loop it was nothing supernatural it's just yeah it was an autistic person dealing with figuring out a new routine and they deliberately were doing the same thing each day Mm -hmm. and it was a way to talk about what time loops are talking about a lot of the time yes so i don't like limiting it but it would be interesting to make a separate list that does.
1: Yeah, because when you started talking about how many time loop movies there are, I was like, that just can't be true.
0: And well, it's also TV episodes, it's also video sure, games. Sure, sure.
1: Yeah. And I, but I looked it up and I was like, that's okay. It kind of isn't true because it's like in the definition that you're using is very broad. Yeah. And things like even stuff that includes time travel and employs. Yeah, there's two different things called time loops as well It's like a time loop in this sense, a Connor's loop, if you will. Yeah, the repeating loop. And that happens in in a bunch of stuff. But then there's also like some time travel movies employ like diverging timelines logic Mm -hmm. and some of them employ loop. Logic where yeah it cause and effect can operate in a loop because there is only one timeline and it can't diverge. What happened has happened. Yeah, and so that's what Twelve Monkeys is. Which I, mm-hmm. you know, I'm a huge kind of. If I, uh, I was listening to one of your shows recently, and who was it that picked Twelve Monkeys? I think that was Evan. Yeah, and I was listening, going like, what. Well, I I would have picked 12 Monkeys if I'd known that was, you know, (laughs) because to me, that's not a time loop movie, even though it's like one of my big, big obsessive movies that I just just made a huge impression on me as a kid. Yeah,
0: it's a stable, singular time loop.
1: It's a singular timeline. Yeah, I consider that a a loop logic time travel film rather than a time loop film.
0: Well, the the TV series of 12 Monkeys did an actual time loop episode. Yes, that's true.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I assume it's true. I wouldn't watch that TV show if you paid me. Oh, it's good. <laughs> it's, not good. it's not good. Surprisingly good.
0: Oh, I love it. Okay. Well, it has a terrible pilot. It gets really complicated and complex.
1: I like. I mean, I'm sure there's I'm sure there's good like writing in there, but it just, I, 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 I when I tried it out, I was just like, yeah, I can't watch like network TV. You know what I mean? <laughs> like TV that is made to that schedule on with those budgets. And I don't mind the budget for like the effects and stuff, although, you know, I am a snob yeah. about special effects, but it's just mainly the, sorry, this is not 12 mug. I don't know how we got onto this, but the, like the way you act, the 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 way the art of acting works, if you have to work with these type of scripts on these type of schedules means that you just kind of, you really lean on archetypes much more and you lean on, you know, just the tools you have in your. Especially in your early on, it would be as, like that. Definitely. Until you. Develop and if you can't get past that, yeah, yeah you're yeah, not going to yeah. enjoy it. And like the acting on Star Trek The Next Generation or something is like very kind of watchable because we grew up with it, but like it's not good. It's not like a proper drama where they rehearse and they work on it and stuff. There's just some very good actors on it who elevate the material.
0: Well, they do a good job of playing into that with Star Trek, though, in that they're all military essentially and formal about they're everything really
1: formal and they're so all, it works. and they're you know in this utopian future where mm-hmm. they have no internal conflict within the within the crew and all that so yeah exactly they do make it work and it does feel like part of the the world of it but it's still like you know moment to moment you break that down and you're like that's not how people talk. That's not how people act. This is terrible. <laughs> and I love Star Trek, you know, but it just, you know, it, it, it is what it is, and and, and you kind of have to accept that. Whereas, like, I just go, like, no, if, if if a new thing comes on and it's made that way, that's why I don't watch any of the like the CW, DC, uh, mm, you know, yeah. just like it's just life's too short.
0: Well, and the CW would have even more episodes per season, so that's even more yeah, so. Yeah,
1: yeah, and they just lash through it. And I just kind of go, like, no, I could be watching better call Saul. Yeah. and that has spoiled me
0: yeah <laughs> stuff
1: like that has just spoiled me for watching mediocre acting ever again because i've seen i've seen ray seahorn and yeah you've seen you what know. people can do exactly yeah yeah but sorry that was that was way off
0: oh no that's worth saying and i mean it could, it could actually get to my time loop of the week because
1: most of life is just junk right it's, it's filler and then there's these moments when all the randomness turns into something perfect. It's like life's dropping all the bullshit for a second to show us how amazing it could be all the time, if it wanted to.
0: Hmm. I don't know. I think maybe we're supposed to become like better people. Though I honestly don't even know how that could be possible.
1: I think about it, we must miss so many of them. All those tiny perfect things are just poof, gone, lost forever. But not today.
2: That is a disturbingly inspirational idea, Mark. Mm-hmm. It's a perfect day. You couldn't have planned it like this.
1: Well, you can. It just takes an awful lot of work. Time.
0: Time. The last revision is what counts, apparently.
1: Time. What if we found Time. them all? All the perfect things in this Time. one town, Time. in this one day. We can collect
0: them. I would say Westworld sort of also does a pretty good job of playing into its weaknesses in terms of acting and scheduling. Mm. It's a big, I mean, it's an HBO show with fewer episodes, so it's going to be better. Yeah.
1: But it's like, what, 10 or 13 episodes a season or something?
0: I think it was 12 for the first two and 10 for the three and four or something like that. It was That would be 10 episodes for season one and two, eight episodes for season three and four. Two different numbers, but
1: Yeah. yeah. I, I kind of think of Westworld as like it's HBO and the only thing, the only way the acting might be not to everyone's taste is that it's just a little arch yeah. and kind of tied to the genre a bit more, which doesn't bother me at all. I think they're you know really good dramatic actors with really good presence, except you're one who plays. Oh God. I'm curious. Uh, she goes, she, she's found underground in season two she's been living off protein bars and stuff oh elsie elsie yeah
0: i forgot that character existed when i rewatched watched yeah. the episode yesterday
1: yeah well in, in season one she's like bad bad like mm. in a different show bad acting like oh wow did they write this character differently because they needed to stop her being in it
0: Yeah. See, i haven't re-watched any of westworld until yesterday mm. i watched season one yeah
1: on. i'm just talking about my first go through when i originally watched it and as soon as when I was watching season one synopsis. I'd
0: forgotten she was there.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I did too. And I was watching season one synopsis today.
0: I'd forgotten Emily was there. I'd forgotten so many things watching. My time loop of the week is Westworld generally, but also specifically season two, episode four, The Riddle of the Sphinx. Gotcha. It's yeah. not a Connors loop. It's not actual time repeating. It is experiential. We've seen in season one, the hosts like a NPC in a video game, Just do the same stuff every day. Yeah. And they have all these loops of activities that they do. Yeah. And with some of the storylines, it might be a week long. It might be a day long. They do the same stuff. And then they start to break out of that model.
1: And then the guests can come in and interact with them. Exactly, And that'll take the loop. So then the guest gets to be part of the loop.
0: Like Dolores always drops that can. And then if a guest doesn't pick it up, Teddy comes over and picks it up. Yeah. Because that's his role.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So then in this are we are we jumping into this
0: uh basically riddle the sphinx the looping part is that this is the point where we find out what westworld was for it wasn't just entertainment for rich people Uh huh. it goes into the same angle that dollhouse went into where this is just to help rich people be immortal instead yes and so part of this episode is we meet Delos, the guy who started westworld yeah and he finds out each time he has this conversation with young william that this conversation keeps happening, mm-hmm. and he is—he turns out he's not trying to be replaced by a robot. He has already been replaced by a robot, and they're working on programming it. And
1: so they keep having a conversation. Yeah, and they find this iterative process where they've taken in all the data, mm-hmm. copied his brain, and run all these kind of tests on him, and then they create a copy, and like the copy. Goes unstable, goes mad, and has to be destroyed. Yep, and that keeps happening, and they get the there. It's like an expanding loop. Yeah, each one lasts a Because they get a, a bit longer. more life out of mm-hmm. this robot, because they're getting better and they're refining the process. And it also worth mentioning that like some of the fan theories, actually, this is probably way out of date because there's <laughs> it's been like two and a half more seasons since, right, uh, you know. Yeah. I'm only caught up to to this one, but there is this notion as well that maybe they're not just making people immortal, but that they'll be able to like copy certain people and replace them with robots so that they can control and manipulate. So that's like future world the. 70s or 80s uh, sequel to Westworld, yeah. uh, that's the main theme on it, where like, yeah, they copy people's personalities and make replicas of them, but then they can control them and put them in the Senate and and White House and whatever. You know?
0: Yeah, I mean that's a lot of what season 3 and especially season 4 has been, is okay. what does the world become because of this technology? Yeah. And where some people know about it and can control it and some people can't. Mm-hmm. But specifically the repetition aspect is that One thing I loved in season four, something we found out, we found out in season two and season three that all the different uh, theme parks kind of had the same storylines, just one was a Western theme, one was a samurai, but they had the same plot lines, which was funny. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. But we find out in season four that the massacre that happened at the end of season one is now part of the simulation experience Yeah, where we have people that seem to be humans acting as if they were hosts. Going crazy and killing hosts that are pretending to be the workers. And it's like this weird reversal of the plot.
1: Well, I kind of suspect even back where I am, Mm. I kind of started to suspect that that was already part of it because it happens the same in parallel in the different themes, the different themed worlds. And it also seems like everything about it seems like, well, there's wheels within wheels, games within games, and that the whole thing is a meta game and the whole, yeah.
0: Well, and like we were talking about the editing of Ex Machina yesterday, it also manipulates the audience because they have this big twist in season one is yeah, these two storylines we're following. Oh, they're not happening at the same time. Yeah. These robots don't age. So we don't, we can't tell the difference. Yeah. And they do something similar in season two. I'm forgetting now what the twist that happened in season three was. Season three was a very different because it was all outside the theme park and other things was happening
1: yeah season four has a similar twist which i like i think it was season two that has the problem of the writers were building up to a certain payoff and a certain it's either two or three that has this problem where the writers were building up to a certain payoff or a certain big you know mystery being revealed in the end and then they were reading theories online and they found out that somebody guessed it really oh. early on <laughs> so then they pivoted and took all of the like breadcrumbs that they had laid and say, where else could we go with this? Ah. And created a different, interesting, presumably far less satisfying version of it. And there's a lot of people saying like, that is just a terrible and awful kind of example of being too led by the fans and too into fan service.
0: Well, and also I think the type of show it is, it, doesn't benefit from that in a way because it's also losing fans with each season because it kind of has to reinvent itself and its plot each season
1: yes and also like if one fan theory is correct the fans still don't know which theory is correct even if they've read them all
0: yeah it's not a problem until you let someone know one of them was correct
1: yeah yeah Although there is that feeling when somebody gives their speculation about a TV series or a movie Mm -hmm. that's coming up and you just as soon as they say it, your heart sinks because you're just like, oh, that's definitely it.
0: Yeah, like that's That's definitely it.
1: Yeah. And then it's like somebody has given you a spoiler. Well, by just thinking out loud and saying, <laughs> "It's like, yeah, that's not technically a spoiler, but you're really brainy, and I wouldn't have thought of that." And now you've ruined it for me because you're definitely right.
0: <laughs> it's like watching an old Law and Order episode where you recognize the guest star and you're like, "Oh, they did it." <laughs> <laughs> it's like they become a bigger actor later. They're guilty. Mm, yeah, yeah. But as for the the plot, like basically, they keep making new versions of Delos. Once the conversation finishes, he's having physical problems as well, like little tremors and seizures and stuff. They burn out the room Mm. in season four. They have essentially the reverse of this setup is that they have what we think is a human in one of these rooms all over again. And they're trying to get information from them. They're instead using it as an interrogation technique is we're going to talk to you. And then when you don't give us what we want, we're going to burn you and make another copy.
1: Yeah. Yeah when i saw the the whole room being burned as well i was like well yeah that looks cool and it's very dramatic and stuff but like that's just silly you know corporations wouldn't just waste all those resources but then i thought oh wait a second the body that's being burned is worth like a hundred times the rest of the contents of that room combined (laughs) so it's probably fine you know it's like if they're gonna burn that thing burning the rest of the room and the fancy like furnishings is like trivial you know because these things are like the most kind of high-end hardware that has ever been implemented yeah
0: yeah the room they burn similarly in season four has like a table and a chair in it it's does it's not elaborate they're not pretending this is it's
1: not elaborate it's not pretending it's real yeah. His
0: is re is supposed to, he's supposed to think it's a real room.
1: He's re- yeah, he thinks it's real. It's, it's, he thinks uh, he knows where he is. nicely furnished, yeah.
0: And for that episode, they do it's his final iteration is the 149th. And by that point, William is now, spoilers for season one, the man in black, Ed Harris. Yeah. Playing William as an old man and they're not going to be testing out the Delos model anymore because he doesn't think Delos deserves to be alive. (laughs) (laughs) And they've got the technology far enough along, they'll be okay soon to do everyone else. And by season three and season four, that's what they're doing is they can make copies of people. They can make copies. The hosts can make copies of themselves occasionally. Yeah. And it gets complicated. The season, yeah, the show is complicated, and
1: it's tangling with the big issues. But it's kind of like the whole show with its constant questioning of the nature of humanity, the self, free will, programming, social programming, a lot of the same themes that we talk about in Ex Machina. Mm -hmm. And it's sort of like while I'm watching it and thinking of all the themes, you know, just like the head of Professor Robert E. G. Black saying, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it's like coming up, <laughs> taking up the whole screen. Or and all of it matters,
0: it, you know? It's uh, yeah,
1: yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. But the, the essential question it's asking about what is, you know, who's real and who's not, it's just like, it doesn't matter if they... Feel you know, and if the if the simulation is of a reasonable sophistication, then it's it's safe to assume that the, the hosts have a certain amount of subjective experience, and that they can have pleasure and pain, and they can have wants and desires, and blah blah blah, because they're programmed to, just like we're programmed to, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Right? There's a very extreme version of this. The creator of and and uh, Robert in the future in the edit might look this up for us. Uh, the creator of the Furby. I don't know if you've ever heard of this guy. He is a mad bastard, <laughs> and he's gone on to create a lot of like little robot dogs and robot toys and stuff. And yeah. I think I think some of them have been have been kind of famous and successful. Nothing as big as Furby, but he has claimed that these little robots, these you know very basic like mass producible replicatable robots are just as alive as you or me and you think it's marketing and then you ask him and then he's like in interviews like no what's the difference and I'm like what well, what the hell are you talking about you nutcase?" and then yeah. you know his argument is that if you say to him well you know we're human beings with thoughts and feelings blah 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 and he's like well we're just complicated machines and all of the subsystems of that machines are predictable and so you know if you capture all the variables you'll be able to predict our behavior and and uh, the outcomes and all that and that's exactly like my furby or my little robot dog friend you know it's all programmed in and they learn and they develop their own personality and that's like that sometimes my argument is sometimes the mere quantitative argument has to be enough Mm -hmm. there has to be an amount of complexity that is insufficient and an amount of complexity that is sufficient for subjective experience and consciousness or whatever way you want whatever kind of line in the sand you want to draw and put us on one side and put a furby on the other side yeah because if somebody and it's like line uh, arguments of this nature where it's like where the kind of contrarian is saying well where do you draw the line and my argument is I don't have to tell you precisely where the line is. I only have to tell you that it exists between me and a Furby. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or between it's you like and a dog, something... or you and whatever. Between Yeah, yeah well, I wouldn't even uh, like a real life dog. I I wouldn't presume to, to tell somebody that a dog is or isn't. A dog is definitely less complicated than I am.
0: If the conversation matters, it's for a reason like who we're going to protect with laws or something like that and how. And so we have to draw lines between who we protect more we choose people.
1: Yeah, I I would put us on the side of people, but I wouldn't really use the complexity argument for that because the more we learn about other animals, the more amazing they are and the more sophisticated they are in our estimation and we keep having to kind of revise our mm. rules that separate us from animals and I think to my mind the the bottom line on that one is that like look, we have to protect our species and i hope we get to a point where we're not protecting ourselves at the expense of other pr- right. species as much as we now do basically i'm saying it's not okay to be racist but it is okay to be speciesist to an extent <laughs> as in it's it, i think it's okay that at this stage in human development at this stage when we're not very enlightened but we can see a more enlightened future i think it's okay to remain with like keeping humans central to our laws and our institutions Mm. and that later when we become you know super enlightened beings of pure energy that then we won't see any difference between us. we won't care about the difference between us and a dog At at the moment, we need to.
0: Yeah, we still have problems deciding to protect all the people.
1: Exactly. So like, let's just do that bit first. Yeah. And I do, you know, have a special place in my heart for human beings, but I do have to accept that the, the more you try and drill down on why that is and justify it, the more you realize that any such justification is post hoc True. and that really it comes from an innate kind of tribal identification with your fellow beings. And an observation of the world and the wonders we've created and, you know, blah, blah, but then they're only wonders subjectively according to us and blah, blah, blah. And so, you know, you you get into all that stuff. But what I'm saying is I'm, I'm using the complexity argument to argue that, like, that a Furby is such orders of magnitude less complicated than you or I that... There's no way we can say that it's the same kind of thing as we are and that it's doing when it has its behavior based on let's not say a fur because they're super simple, but like the, the later robot dogs and kind of simple things that it's doing what it does for the same kinds of reasons that we do and the same that it's the same kind of thing we are. It's simply not because everything about it can be reducible and, and replicable. I mean, some people who own these things will say that if you own them for like 20 years or something, they do develop their own quirks and personality because there's a certain amount of, you know, randomness or yeah. like environmental dependence in, in the way it kind of updates its own code and stuff. And that's that's cool. And that's interesting. But again, it's all like you can just download the brain of it and see what's going on. It is entirely absorbable by one human being or a group of human beings. And that's why, like, I just get very angry when people (laughs) online are like saying those um, Boston Dynamics robots, like leave it alone. What did the Boston Dynamics robot ever do to you, (laughs) Mr. Boston Dynamics employee who's kicking it to demonstrate that it's a machine that can write itself and can balance well on its four legs that are controlled by microcontrollers, which has a CPU that controls the microcontrollers as well. It's a fucking computer. Relax. It's like, it's it's just software running on a computer. And yes, we will get to the stage where this is, this should have all been X-Mac in a conversation. Overlap is fine. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> we will get to the stage where there is a blurred line and it's like well hang on now the the software here is running on this particular hardware platform and the software itself is so complicated that now we're into the realm of like how how much of this code was written by the being itself is it a being you know we will probably get there we are nowhere near there yet and the notion that building a Furby or a robot dog gets us somewhere there or that you can look at a, a toy like that and say well what's the difference between them and us it's like loads loads of magnitude is the difference
0: <laughs> like what's the difference between ned ryerson and us beautiful he's just words in a script he's words oh. in a script he's just a character standing in the street and not
1: just standing in the street but he is talk about boston dynamics he is self-writing when he gets pushed by Bill Murray, oh yeah he just he just this, keeps going like run backwards and run forward and he's like leaning <laughs> i'm just running it he, again he's it also
0: is. clearly programmed he takes his hat off even though phil's not looking at him
1: yeah yeah beautiful
0: he does the same moves he does from day to day he
1: is gorgeous yeah he takes the hat off red the head and shows us but yeah just that run backwards he does and he does it <laughs> um yeah <laughs> i love ned
0: it's like he does he doesn't realize that phil pushed him on purpose he's like oh okay, that's fine i'll just catch up
1: yeah i mean he chooses not to realize i think you know he's just like yeah. <laughs> well, i just like i don't like what that was i don't know what that was i'll just keep going and being friendly that's what i always do it worked for me so far
0: phil yeah he shoves him a little bit at first and then he shoves him again right before the the puddle <laughs> because he's not paying attention phil goes in the puddle one more time never again Oh, is this the last bottle incident? Yes. Oh, wow. It's tomorrow that he steps over it. Great. Because Tonight is when he goes drinking and decides to start taking advantage of this. So Ned's dialogue is mostly the same. Hey, Phil, Phil Connors. I Well, don't say you don't remember me because I sure as heck if I remember you. It's me, Ned Ryerson. Needle nose, Ned, Ned, the head. Come on, buddy. Case Western. Hi-. And then he gets interrupted by what shove. Hey, and Phil steps in the water. He's just like, hey phil left he didn't even talk to him this time yeah that is not what ned wanted from his day phil is a
1: man on a mission yeah we cut away from ned very quickly Mm -hmm. this time he doesn't get to um yeah we don't we don't stay with his moment the way he did last time with his like that's a doozy
0: because we cut to phil going through the crowd and long blue coat lady is behind phil red hat old guy is a couple people behind that we'll see him a few times in this movie and I also noted this time, and I never noticed it before. Phil doesn't show any form of identification or credentials to get past the military and police guys. Oh yeah,
1: he just goes. Maybe celebrity is his identity. Uh,
0: maybe it doesn't. It doesn't seem like he does anything this time. He just kind of walks past them. Mm. They don't care. I don't know what they're. What kind of security? This security is very lax. Yeah.
1: Well, small town. They're not expecting. It's, <laughs> it's all about audience expectations. You know, they're not expecting any great. Uh, what is it about small towns I watched uh, the Iron Giant recently and Kit Ramsey worked for the government who who seems kind of partially inspired maybe by Ned Ryerson but he uh, (laughs) he says um, something big no 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 big things happen in big places and as soon as I file my report (laughs) I can get back to them and uh, so he's just like he thinks nothing is going to happen in this small town of Rockwell
2: small towns tiny minds, big mouths small it is. Oh Shallow talk, deep snow, cold fronts, big rears. Now, how cold was it last year? In degrees? I heard they don't even use degrees in Europe. That's a good point. Great point. A lot of mysteries out there. One bar, one store, one clock. One diner, one bank, one cop. United States government, huh? I... Guess that means something big's happening here, eh?
1: No, Marv. Big things happen in big places.
2: I mean, what's not to like in a quaint little place like this? Who doesn't dig a crocheted pillowcase like this? Watercolors of bucolic vistas painted by octogenarian spinsters and all the people just getting together for relentless analysis of the weather, their dumb superstitions and vacuous chat. There's nothing more depressing than a small town, of USA, and small don't come much smaller than Punxsutawney on Groundhog Day.
1: Yeah, it kind of works with with this because, like, the reason I'm saying he, he that character and I like just yeah, uh, Kent Mansley worked for the government. It's just great, great character yeah, he's just, he's constantly calling Hogarth, you know, hey, Slugger, hey, champ, hey, sports fan, you know, and he's giving them all these, and he yeah. just, he's got a, he's got a real Ned Ryerson vibe to him there. But of course, he has this. He's like a of,
0: a mix of Ned and Phil. Yeah,
1: because he's got this much more sinister side to him too. Yeah. Yeah, but but like Phil thinking that, yeah, big things happen in big cities. I don't want to be in this podunk town. I want to file mm-hmm. my report. He wants to record his tv report and get back to them get back to the big places yeah and he's going places so it's uh
0: and even then he doesn't think pittsburgh's big enough
1: yeah yeah it almost could be a quote from this movie instead of the iron giant
0: yeah so he goes through the puddle he goes through the crowd up onto gobbler's knob again meanwhile the pennsylvania polka is sort of in the background we don't hear it as clearly this time rita calls for phil 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 over here And she immediately goes in to straighten his tie, just like she did yesterday. And Larry looks really put upon in the background. like He's probably been there for at least an hour, and Phil is barely showing up in time to do the report.
1: Yeah. So unprofessional. What a diva. Right. The talent.
0: Exactly. And then Phil asks Rita, he's like, can I talk to you about a matter that is not (laughs) work-related? You never talk about work. (laughs) And Phil pulls Rita away and says, we really have to talk. Come on. And... There's a great line in the final revision of the script where Larry looks at them and he says, is he hurting you? <laughs> I was like, wow, that's a lot. That's a that's a different tone. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, is he hurting you? It's kind of going from not to 60. Like, you know. Yeah. Is this guy bothering you would seem like the first thing you'd say. And then it's like, you know, is he hurting you? Do you want to give me a signal? You know. It's
0: like, yeah. Instead, all he does is say, hey, because he just like, where are you going? We got a report. Yeah. Yeah. And Phil says, it's a creative meeting. Forget it. In one of the versions of the script, I forget which one he says. Yeah, you'd be bored. (laughs) And Rhea says, wait a second. We've got work to do. He says, no, I don't. I've already done it twice. And when you get finished, come and meet me in the diner.
1: So we got to the diner. So what do you think they did? Because they're not in a time loop. They're in reality. And they've got a job to do today.
0: We never see it in the movie. But in yesterday's version in the script, Rita does the report. Okay. In I think that's in the final revision. But they didn't do it. Is that when he drops the mic, she picks it up and finishes it. And says, this is Rita Hansen from Punxsutawney.
1: Yeah. And do you think she has an on-screen background? And she's become a producer? I don't think producer. she has experience with it. Yeah.
0: Maybe. It's hard to gauge because we don't know a lot about her other than she's new as a producer. Yeah.
1: I mean, because she's very photogenic, but that's more because she's the romantic lead in a movie. Exactly. um, Rather than, you know, being kind of intrinsic to the character and her background or whatever. So you could imagine that she came up, maybe she's ended up behind the scenes because she was a front of camera talent first and then worked her way up or whatever.
0: Well, and in Ruben's original, they're sort of reversed, is that Rita is the producer who's been doing this for a while. Right. And Phil is brand new. Yeah. And so the dynamic changed, and it's hard to gauge what they expect us to Mm -hmm. think it is Mm -hmm. for her. We just know she's new at this. Yeah, yeah. But I, I guess, given the timing, there's something I complain about next week, so I won't get into it now, but. They have a whole sticky bun and coffee before they have the conversation about what's going on. Yeah. So I hope she got there late. I hope she stuck around while he was at the diner and she just walked in. Yeah. So the movie doesn't tell us. He's had
1: a whole sticky bun and coffee. Yeah. Yeah. And she's kind of come in and sat down and maybe ordered. And then it's just like, okay, what's this
0: thing you want to talk about? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Another good thing I noticed for the first time doing my notes this time is when Larry comes over to her before, as Phil walks away, he says, What's that all about? I don't know. Prima donna's that conversation. Yeah. The channel 23 camera yeah. takes in the spot they were just occupying. Like ah, they are opportunistic. That's great. Just jump
1: right in. Yeah.
0: That's perfect. And I'm like, I don't even think that kid, channel 23 was over there. So they went around to get that yeah, spot. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, good job.
1: Yeah. There's probably a whole kind of unspoken or semi unspoken pecking order about, like, well, you know, we're we're channel five we've been coming here yeah they're
0: a network out of pittsburgh they get to pick a spot yeah and but as soon as they moved it's like i'm taking it there you go yeah and at the end of the minute we cut to the tip top get an establishing shot of the outside first and then inside as doris says more coffee hon." and then the minute dies dies wow (laughs) wow why are you getting dark (laughs) <laughs> mm. I gotta find a movie to use that in that's a good one and then the minute dies <laughs> yeah so more coffee hon. and the minute's over and we talked a lot about androids today <laughs> in the wrong <laughs> way <laughs>
1: that's okay an, an unusual amount of android coverage for a um, groundhog day minute podcast. exactly Yeah.
0: but if you want to hear you talk about uh, say puppets for example where might they do that
1: well there is a great puppeteer who works at marionettes and uh, his name is philip huber he was the puppeteer on being john malkovich and i had the pleasure of interviewing him at great length and that interview i have cut up and chopped up and into the relevant minutes of a being john malkovich minute by minute podcast called malkovich malkovich minute minute available at MalkovichMinute.net. And on all the major podcast platforms, binge those 25 episodes, bask in the glory of the fact that I have a further 25 episodes recorded and some of them (laughs) are even edited, and then anticipate the uh, further episodes that will surely eventually materialize.
0: Surely. And... In addition to everything in the outro, I'd say check out First Syllable every Friday, in which I am slowly constructing my own time loop story. And remember, thank you for listening. The Groundhog Day Project Minute by Minute is just one part of an existential trilogy of podcasts. Tune in every Tuesday for Minutia Ex Machina, every Wednesday for more Groundhog Day, and every Thursday for Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Minute and you can follow all three shows in one feed. Just search An Existential Trilogy. Follow this show on Twitter at Groundhog Day MXM and on Instagram and Facebook at Groundhog Day Project. This has been a production of Lemming Drops Studio. You can find links to more at lemmingdrops.com or join the Facebook group Lemming Drops Studio Tour. Also, you can support all my shows at patreon.com slash lemmingdrops. Until next time.
2: time, what is wrong in the end, which never comes, or which
1: comes again and again, lap, lap, laughing, like waves. Since the Big Bang set everything in motion, everything that happens in this universe
0: has to be the way it is. Man, are you hungry? I haven't eaten since later this afternoon. Particles unfolding the way they're destined to. How do you sleep
2: at night? You've never seen Groundhog Day. Hmm. Yeah, you know, Groundhog Day is not a documentary. Ah. Furby was a big hit because it, on purpose, was made to let you believe it was alive. All electronic toys up to then were, squeeze my hand, I'll count to 10, and if you're not, you don't wanna wanna play anymore? No, okay. You know, it's just a very self-centered toy. And so, it became human in a way that other products hadn't been. It became human and present. And people thought that was scary and weird and freaky because it encroaches on being human.